Good morning. My name is Gene. I'm one of the preachers here at Grace Fellowship Church. It's a joy to have you. Welcome, especially if you are new. A special welcome to you. Thank you for coming. Uh, and we're very thankful for our new members. We are, are rejoicing. And now we're going to talk about the members of God's people in the wilderness. Bad segue. Um, <laughs> have you ever wondered why gold medals are the, the medals that are offered to the first place winners? Why isn't it bronze or zinc or titanium? This precedent of gold for first, silver for second, bronze for third is in place. Why has humanity done this? Why have we an affinity for things of gold? Is it the malleability of gold? Is it the color, the density? Is it how scarce gold is? Why is it so prized? Part of the answer is that God thinks highly of gold. And we'll see that this morning. This morning, we will see what is necessary for the Holy One to dwell with His people. When the Holy One dwells among His people, there must be the best. The best of law and mercy. The best of regular offering. And the best of the light of life. And that just so happens to be your outline for this morning. When the Holy One dwells among His people, there must be the best of law and mercy, regular offering, and the light of life. Go ahead and turn to Exodus 25. It's on page 42 if you have one of these Bibles. So, as Jeff said, this week we are getting back into Exodus, uh, our sermon series in Exodus, after having gone through the neighboring and through Easter. The last time we were, were in Exodus, Moses and some others were ascending the mountain to God. Tom led us through chapter 24, and that chapter was about the Lord inviting the people into covenant. And last we saw, Moses is alone with God on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Today's chapter, 25, it marks the beginning of a new section in Exodus where we're going to talk about the tabernacle. And all tabernacle is, that it's a fancy word for tent. The, the tent that God wants the Israelites to build for him so that he can dwell with his people. This is the point in the Exodus narrative where the plot really slows down. There's no rising plot. There's going to be not much conflict. This morning it will seem like I am preaching from a blueprint, not from a narrative. If you are a Lord of the Rings fan, you might see some connections with the detail upon detail this morning. You could read five pages of Tolkien and he's still talking about the same tree. So it'll be a little bit like that this morning. But I encourage you to press into the details. The details are important. My chapter here begins the journey into the tabernacle description. And uh, we, will, we will start from the very center of the tabernacle and work our way outward as the weeks go on. The point 
in all of this will be this. God wants to dwell with His people. God wants to come down and live with them. They live in tents. God wants a tent to live in with His people. In many ways, this dwelling, this coming to live with His people is a return to paradise. It is a return to Genesis 1 and 2 before the fall into sin. Where God dwelled with man and walked with man. There will be connections all uh, throughout to the Garden of Eden that I'll try to point out. And so for the next few weeks, we will unpack this idea, this idea of God coming to dwell with His people. We'll look at it from a variety of different angles. Children, did you know that a long time ago, before you were born or before your parents were born, God lived with His people in a tent. God's people lived outside in tents. And God Himself came down to live in His own tent. If you want to learn more about God's tent, ask your mom and dad to read from Exodus. I'm sure they'd be, I'm sure they'd love to do that. So, before I get started, let me pray and then we will start reading from uh, Exodus 25. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for Your Word. And Lord, we praise You that You have come to dwell with us. Not only in the tabernacle, but in a much more significant way. Thank You for Christ. Lord, would You encourage us and build us up this morning. Strengthen us as a church. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, starting at verse 1 of chapter 25. And I'll just read nine verses. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, and they that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skins, goat skins, acacia wood, Oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. When the Holy One dwells among His people, there must be the best. Let's look at the the first point this morning. So, Moses is up on the mountain with God and he's being given these instructions. The first of which is to uh, collect contributions from the people. And the Lord lists all these different items. Gold, bronze, onyx, stone. And this connects back to to Genesis. Uh, Back in Genesis 2, when the first of the four rivers of Eden are described, it says the river flows around Havilah where there is gold. 
And then it goes on, and at the very end it mentions onyx stone. So we see gold and onyx stone in Genesis, and now we see gold and onyx stone here in Exodus. Even the acacia wood that is going to be used to make things for the tabernacle, even that is a connection to Genesis. The trees of wood where God dwelled with man. So these are all contributions that will equip the people to build the tabernacle, to make the furniture of the tabernacle. And then verse 8 tells us why. Why does this matter? Let them make me a sanctuary, it says, that I may dwell in their midst. Again, this is all about God coming to dwell in their midst. That is the purpose of the tabernacle. And when God comes to dwell, He's not going to shack up in just anything. He must dwell in a well-fitted tent. The word gold comes up 17 times in this chapter. 17 times. God wants His dwelling to be glorious. And not only glorious with gold, but glorious in perfection. Every detail, down to the hand breadth. They need to make this dwelling in a very particular way. Verse 9, exactly, Moses, as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle, so you shall make it. If you're a child of the 90s, maybe you'll appreciate this one. Have you ever seen the TV show Cribs? Cribs is a show about, or was a show about celebrity houses. And the show would travel around to different celebs' houses and the, the cameraman would stand at the doorstep. And the celebrity would open the door, say, yo, welcome to my crib. Let me show you around. And of course, the, the cameraman would go in and the house would be amazing with indoor pools and spiral staircases, flat screens everywhere, the best. Here in Exodus, in some sense, God is saying, I want to live among you. Here are the specs for my crib. Here is what my dwelling needs to look like. So why is this happening? I, uh, I have hit it before and I'm going to continue to hit it. This is for the dwelling of God with His people. This is what's necessary at this point in the Bible for God to dwell with His people. When the Holy One dwells, there must be a tabernacle. There must be gold because God deserves the best. And the furniture must be made in particular ways. Let's look at the furniture. We're going to look at the ark, the table, and the lampstand. And these are are classified on your outline as law and mercy, regular offering, and the light of life. So let's look at law and mercy, the ark. And uh, go ahead and cue the next slide, please. Okay, that is a picture of what the Ark of the Testimony may have looked like. 
I'm going to read from verse 10 through uh, 22. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside shall you overlay it. And you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet. Two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So, law and mercy. Really, all an ark is, is a chest. It's kind of an older English word. When you hear ark, think big wooden chest that I can put stuff in. That's all an ark is. And it's overlaid with gold inside and out. Even the rings and the poles are overlaid with gold or, or made of gold. And the ark has these poles because the ark itself is not to be touched with human hands. You are to touch the poles to carry the ark. You are not to touch the ark itself. You could be struck down dead if you touched the ark. Why can't you touch the ark? Well, this ark is holy. This is where God sits enthroned when He speaks with Moses or will speak with Moses. You are not to touch this holy ark. Additionally, there is there's both law and mercy in the design of this ark. Verses 16 and 17, You shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. The testimony, that is the the law, the Ten Commandments. Verse 17, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. So there's law, there's mercy, and really all the mercy seat is, it's, it's a lid for the chest. It's a fancy lid, golden, with angels on it, one piece, but it's a, it's a lid in function. And uh, verse 17, God provides the specs for the seat and for the cherubim. Let me define 
cherubim. Cherubim are angels that serve God. And often in the Bible, they guard holy places. They may, no one knows, but they may have looked something like that. A a lion with wings and a human face. So this might bring some Genesis imagery to mind if you're familiar with Genesis. Genesis 3, after the fall into sin, God puts a flaming sword and something else to guard the way to the tree of life. He puts cherubim. So we see that connection again back to Genesis. Here's another quick aside. When you read in the Bible about God being enthroned upon the cherubim, this is in part what it's talking about. God sitting on the the mercy seat above the cherubim talking with Moses. And these cherubim, they are looking at something. Verse 20, toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. Our attention is, is directed at the mercy seat. God has covered over the testimony of the law with mercy. The law is still there, but on top is mercy. So we see these two concepts coexisting, law and mercy. And from from this spot, this is where God chooses to dwell and to, to sit when He talks with Moses. He could have designed it in any way He wanted, but He chose to design it in this particular way. Law and mercy. Why did He design it like this? Why not the law seat in the testimony or the judgment seat in the testimony? Why not just the mercy seat? Why not just the testimony of the law? It's because even from the Old Testament, God is a God of both law and mercy. Both judgment and of grace. Both of Fairness and forgiveness. Another reason why this matters is because it shows that God chooses to cover the law with mercy, even from the beginning. The mercy seat covers and conceals the law that is there. The Holy One, He needs the best of law and mercy. For his dwelling. He also needs the best for regular offering. Let's take a look at that. Go ahead and move to the next slide. Thank you. So I'm going to read 23 through 30 now as we consider regular offering. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. And make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it, a handbreadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold, and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame the rings shall lie, as holders for the poles to carry the table. 
You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. So here's a picture of what the table may have looked like. Again, made of wood like the ark, but overlaid with gold. The best. And just like the ark, it has four rings through which you put these poles. And that's how you carry the table, just like you carry the ark. But unlike the ark, the table has plates and dishes for incense. And we'll get into that in later chapters. Plates and dishes. It also has bowls and flagons, which is a fancy word for pitcher. So that the priests can offer Drinks as offerings. And these are all made of, you guessed it, gold. Golden table. Verse 30, you shall set the bread of the presence on the table. That's, that's not made of gold. Before me regularly. This was to be a regular thing. The bread. And the bread consisted of Twelve flat pieces, which represented the twelve tribes of Israel. And the bread was offered to God, but God allowed the priests to eat of it as they, they ministered in the tabernacle. So why is this bread important? Three reasons. It's important because it, it makes clear the reverence and the regularity required to serve the Lord. So reverence and regularity. It also, this offering has new meaning now that the mercy seat has covered over the law. So the, the offering means something with that mercy being, uh, being made available. Also, it shows the Lord's kindness from the Lord's own offerings. He allows His priests to eat. He is kind to his priests. The Holy One needs the best of regular offering. Food and drink. Finally, if God is to dwell with his people, there needs to be the best of the light of life. Let's look at the lampstand. And I'm going to read from 31 through 40. Thanks, Dan. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it. And three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch. And three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So, for the six branches going out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms, with their calyxes and flowers. 
and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it, a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamps shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent, about 75 pounds of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. So here's a picture of what the lampstand could have looked like. Once again, gold is a priority. This time it's not overlaid with gold. It is made of gold entirely. About 75 pounds worth, which is a heavy lamp. And a whole bunch of language is used to describe this lampstand. Cups, calyxes, stem, flowers. Amidst all the details, this is the takeaway. The lampstand is made to image a blossoming almond tree. Go ahead and move to the next slide. That is what a blossoming almond tree looks like. The branches were like the branches of these trees. And uh, the blossoms were like the blossoms of an almond tree. Let me explain what calyxes are. I had to look this up. Go ahead and move to the next slide. So a calyx is it's part of the flower that covers the petals before it blooms. And it protects the petals. And then as it blooms, the calyx sits underneath all of the petals. Go ahead and go to the next one. Thanks. So, all together, the lampstand, there are 22 blossoms, 6 branches, 1 stem, 7 cups, all one piece, 75 pounds, pure gold. All these details God wants to come to fruition. Verse 40, Moses, see that you make them after the pattern that I have shown you on the mountain. God wants this to be exactly so for some reason. Why is this lampstand in all of its details? Why is it important? It is important because it shows that God is a God of light. And God is a God of life. God wants in His dwelling, He wants a light that will give light. And He he wants it to image life. A blossoming tree. The light of life. And this might get your, your mind moving in one of two directions, either toward Genesis or toward Jesus Christ, if you are familiar with the Bible. In Genesis, it might remind you of the tree of life. And we will, we will get to Christ. The Holy One needs the best of law and mercy, regular offering, and the light of life. What does this mean for your life? A whole bunch of details about a tent that no longer exists. Go ahead and move to the next slide. Do you ever feel far away from God? 
God is a God who wants to dwell with you. He is not far away. Do you see God's heart for dwelling with His people? Do you you see the extent that He's willing to go to be and to live with His people? We just finished a sermon series on neighboring. How are you doing at dwelling with your neighbors? At tabernacling among them, if you will. When God chooses to do this for His people, how could we not dwell, choose to dwell with our neighbors, with those whom God has placed around us. How could you better image this dwelling of the Holy One? Another way that this passage has impacted me personally as I've studied it, I've been amazed at God's creativity. The contributions, the ark, the table, the lampstand. I couldn't dream this stuff up. The beauty and the creativity and the intentionality and the meaning behind all of it. It is breathtaking if you really imagine the tabernacle. It is breathtaking. So I encourage you, embrace the, the coming chapters. As we move on in this series, I, I encourage you, do not read these chapters as a boring list of details. But rather, choose to read them as an amazing catalog of God's creativity and His, His desire to be with His people. Let's close by seeing what Jesus has to say about Law and mercy, regular offering, and light of life. So law and mercy. Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. To fulfill the law that we fell way short of. So He came to fulfill the law. Jesus was also known for His mercy that He extended. One instance, the, the woman caught in adultery, instead of having her killed, He gives mercy. How about regular offering? John 6, Jesus claims that He is the true bread from heaven. The offering, not just for a week, like the bread, but for all of time. Jesus says the fathers who ate the bread in the wilderness, they died, but whoever eats the true bread from heaven will live forever. The true bread of Jesus Christ. How about light of life? John 8, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The completion of this tabernacle for God to dwell uh, was for God to dwell with His people. But in Jesus Christ, God came to dwell in a different way. He came to dwell among us to die for our sins and to rise for the grave, from the grave, in order that we might dwell with Him forever. And so I encourage you, if you are not a Christian this morning, I plead with you, trust in Jesus. 
the one who came to dwell with us in order that we might dwell with God despite our sin. This morning we have seen that when the Holy One comes, He must have the best. The best of law and mercy, regular offering, and the light of life. Let's pray. Father, we give You praise and honor this morning. And You are holy, Lord. You deserve the best. The best that mankind has to offer. Lord, You came in Jesus not to live in a a tent with gold, but to die, to suffer, and to die in the place of sinners in order that the sinners may be with You forever. God, we we give You praise and we give You thanks for the, the dwelling of Jesus. And it's in Jesus that we hope. Lord, would You encourage us as a church? Build us up this morning. Help us to uh, love one another and to go out and to dwell, to image this dwelling in the world where we live. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.